the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is the Boys of Tech, episode 239 for Monday, the 21st of October, 2013. My name is Edwin Herman. I am joined over Skype by, first of all, Brett King. Welcome to the show, Brett. Hey, hey. Hey, it's good to have you uh, on again. Uh, Took a break last week, but uh, you're back Mm. on co-hosting with me. Good one. Yes. Also, for the first time on the Boys of Tech, we have Kim Farah. Strictly, not strictly a boy of tech, but I guess a girl of tech. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Hey, awesome. it's, it's great to have you. Now, you and I, Kim, have, have done a couple of breakfast shows or a few breakfast shows uh, together on, on the radio station. This is kind of similar. So, you know, you'll feel right at home. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm looking forward to it. And it's even better, too, because uh, we can edit out our mistakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I can learn some stuff as well. Oh, we all learn stuff. Yeah, I, I've, I, I'll learn stuff. And actually, by the way, later in the show, we will have a guest join us to cover one of our New Zealand stories. So stand by for that. In the meantime, though, I, I do want to kick off with this rumour that Google is kind of, if you like, the next company, apparently, set to unveil its own smartwatch. Well, what do you think about all these smartwatches that are coming out left, right and centre? Is there even a market ready for this? I, I don't know. What? What? <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of the smartwatch. Wow. Because no. we've had the, uh, what was it, the Pebble. Yeah, Pebble, um, which was kick-started. Yep. Yeah, it was too, actually. Yep. And uh, we've, yep. we've got uh, Google oh, Rumor to bring out one. I was late to the band on that one. Well, it's it, like when I heard about the Pebble, I was like, oh, it's Kickstarter and you can get the watch for cheap. And it had already surpassed what it was oh, asking for and it had closed, so I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, otherwise, you would have, right? Get cheap yeah, I would have not have had a pebble and, and I would have worn it and then I would have taken it off and then I would have completely forgotten about it because I haven't worn a watch since high school. <laughs> That's a while ago now. Because I, I have a phone and it tells me the time. I think lots of people do that these days, eh? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, don't see a lot it, yeah. of watches these days. I see a lot of empty wrists or a lot of bracelets or bangles and when people go what's the time they reach into their bag or their pocket they pull out their phone and they go it's blah but it's really (laughs) weird because you know when you have a watch all the time you get used to it you know what I mean Mm. so you're always used to having that watch on but as soon as you don't have it for a period of time then it's you know three or four weeks it's just like you've never had it yeah, you know, I I do have a watch, and the only thing is, uh, the watch strap is broken. Well, I've got a good watch. Uh, 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 I've got a regular watch and a uh, kind of a more expensive dress watch. But the regular watch, the the uh, the watch strap is broken. I would really like to get a replacement watch strap. I just haven't got round to it because at the moment, I've without the watch, I've been having to pull my phone out to look at the time, and it is a little bit more cumbersome. Sure, I have my my phone with me, but it is, let's face it, easier just to glance at your wrist. Mm. That is true. That is true. Um, what does but, what does your, the your smartwatch do then? Most of them do things like they will Bluetooth connect to your smartphone and get information to relay to you. So, mm. for instance, 
when your phone vibrates, instead of looking at your phone to see who called, you can look at your watch. Instead of looking at your phone to find out what the weather is or what your share market stocks are, you'll look at your watch. So basically taking, pulling the information from your smartphone as the, the source device and just displaying it on a watch interface as well as telling the time. Cool. Most of them suffer oh, from thank, the... Thank goodness the, I tell the time as well. <laughs> most of them suffer from the problem of you have to charge them every night. Yeah, and that's, I think we talked about that on a previous show, and that's, yeah, that, that's one of the drawbacks. Because they're such a small mm. form factor, battery power per square centimetre mm. can't keep up. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, Google's going to bring one out. I, look, you know, I, it, it seems like everyone's rushing to get them out. Apple was rumoured to be going to bring one out, but they, they didn't, or I haven't yet. Uh, Adidas, I think, also uh, bringing one out. They've announced 1st November, I think it is, for for them. It, it's almost like everyone's rushing to provide a solution to, you know, in a market a that might not that even exist. exist. It may not exist. <laughs> you know, the, the, the tablets were, were a bit a lot slower. It was more gradual, you know. Uh, you know uh, mm. Apple came out with their iPad and sort of some people said, oh, I don't know about this. Is there a market? Isn't there? And slowly, you know, others came out so more and more. Obviously, people have seen, they went, oh, crap. Uh, Apple brought out their tablet first. We sat back to wait to see whether or not it would take off. It, it did. And now we're fighting in this this market. Now they tell us these other people have come out with a smartwatch. Let's just get on this bandwagon right from the get-go. Don't repeat the tablet uh, experience. <laughs> see what yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's exactly what it is, Brad. And because uh, it really does seem like we're getting we're getting like three, four, five smartphone uh, smart watches out there now, or soon to be out there, uh, so quickly. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden. Well, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. It's not looking awesome. Saying as I, I, I believe there was a, a poll that what is it on device research and CCS Insight had a poll that showed that 40% of smartwatch owners, current smartwatch owners, stop using them because they forget about them or they get bored with them. You know, I can understand that. I I think that would be me as well. I'd be in that 40%. Because I'm just wondering how big the screen is. Like, can you only see that, you know, a small amount or... It's a most of them have a relatively big screen, so you're looking at what maybe a inch and a half, two inches. Yeah, the size of the screen on the back of some of the smaller compact cameras. Okay. Well, I mean, it's obviously limited by what can fit on your wrist for a start, but yeah. I mean, it is it is a small screen, and and I guess there you have also limited uh, use. Mm, yeah. And it would be a pain every day, you know, um, re. Powering it yeah, up all the time. thing that you have to plug in to charge. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All for the benefit of being able to see who's calling you by looking at your wrists instead of pulling your phone out. Well, this is the thing. It's, it, you know, with a watch, an ordinary watch, a dumb watch, actually, that'll probably a word, be a word that makes it into the Oxford English Dictionary, like dumb phone eventually. <laughs> but, you know, like a dumb watch, you know, the batteries there last three, four, five years, depending on the battery. Yeah, and, that's and kind of, some of them have self-charging. Yeah, and some do as well. Mm. And, but that's yeah. what you want because, I, you know, it, it's it's something that's just, you know, it's a matter of convenience. It's not a, a it's not a, this this great big tool that's that has all these different purposes. It's, it's just a matter of convenience. It's also one of those things that and you, unless, you put on and you don't take off very often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. 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 
And so it has to be. You can't be having to charge it every day. And, and yeah, I think we, we've be talked about off this to charge it because then it's just yeah. another of the myriad things that you forget yeah, in exactly. the morning when you're in a hurry. Yeah. How yeah. many people forget where their phone, their keys are, or their phone is? And oh, I'm, I'm putting that. my hand. I'm putting both hands up right now, Brett. That is me <laughs> all over. This, this is just another thing that will be on the on the bedside table where you go. Oh crap! I need my phone. Grabbed. Need my keys. Grabbed. Oh, I'm out the door. And yeah. it's like, oh wait, I've I've forgotten my watch. You know, you ask my wife how many times in the morning. I'm like, where's my phone? Have you seen my phone? Where's my wallet? Have you seen my? What about my keys? Did anyone know where my keys are? Uh, you know, this would be the same with anyway. There you go. Indeed. <laughs> All right, can we talk about Adobe? Adobe has been hacked. Yes. Now, here's the thing. I actually received an email from them, and the one thing I wanted to point out here is, uh, well, first of all, two things. Let's go over what this hack is. Well, uh, apparently they, they... Pretty deep hack. Yep, they say they've been the victim of a cyber attack, and I think something like almost 3 million customer records have been taken. Passwords were encrypted, but of course, you know, it, it, that doesn't necessarily... Once you've got the encrypted password, you stick that thing in a brute force. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sit back while your botnet uses the equivalent power of a million computers. That's right. Chug and, through and crack code. And worse than that, though, like or worse for Adobe, is that not only have they stolen customer information, but also source code for a, a number of Adobe titles, including Acrobat, Cold Fusion, and Cold Fusion builder now yeah. the thing i like though about this is the way it was handled and i got an email just the other day from uh, adobe and it said that this that they've discovered that an attacker has illegally entered their network and may have obtained access to my id and encrypted password uh they go on to say that there's no evidence that my password has been compromised uh, or my account but they do say they recommend you go and reset your password and they give instructions and a link on how to do that and i think that was good that uh, yeah, full, yeah. full disclosure yeah yeah but well, one thing you haven't mentioned ed is not only did they steal customer details like you know your your login name your password encrypted password stuff but they also took payment details card numbers expiration dates yeah, you're right. Yeah, credit card information. Encrypted, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. But once, once again, as we've said, once you have the data, you can then take your leisure to attempt to crack it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of them, you know, uh, given a big enough pool of encrypted data, there'll always be a certain percentage that will be cracked with brute force in, in a given time. So, yeah. Yeah, not good, but you know, I do. I, I, look, I, I will give them full marks for the way they, they handled it. Full disclosure, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a yeah. big thing, and it's once again, you know, goes back to I, I'm, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here, Ed, as I, as I like to do on occasion, especially when it comes to these these cloud based and and um, uh, software as a service things. Adobe has already said they're moving completely to software as a service. You know, you you, you buy and log on to what do they call it? The Adobe Cloud? No, we talked about it in an episode, a few episodes ago, their announcement that they were creative going cloud. to this. Yeah, Creative Cloud. That's their, Adobe their, Creative their Cloud. Adobe Creative Cloud service. All their software is available in that, which means that everybody is going to have usernames, passwords, all of this information, all this payment information. It's always going to be there and it has to be there because you're buying this software as a service and it is online. 
And what happens when something is online, Ed? This happens. Yeah, is what there's I say. always that risk. Absolutely, somebody yeah. hacks it, and suddenly, suddenly, your password, your username, all of those details that you've filled into that thing, and your credit card information, is now available to somebody else. And once they've got it, unless you're pretty prompt on to changing that information or as much of it as you can change, that information is out there for somebody to use your identity, steal all your funds, et cetera, et cetera. It is not a secure sort of system, but it's a thing that we are seeing more and more of. It is not secure. It will never be secure. And this particular hack is is quite a big one. Yeah. You know, custom information, credit card information, yeah, encrypted, but, you know, uh, they still manage to get that and source code for products. This is huge. Oh, yeah, uh, that's the big one. That's the big kicker for Adobe themselves. Yes. Is Ad- the fact yeah, that yeah. source code for some of their some of their um, big titles is gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's out there. That, obviously, these thumb th- hackers would probably have been trying to on-sell to other developers Yep, not good, but there you go. So if you are uh, hearing this for the first time and you know, you, you've got an Adobe ID, I strongly suggest you go and uh, uh, change your password. Change your oh. password, change your details. Mm. Okay, one last international story before we go to the New Zealand stories. Yahoo has finally turned on SSL for its webmail interface. Finally. Finally. Excellent. It's now it's only, only available by... Sorry? It's only been how long? Yeah, exactly. And so now, every you know, it will force you through HTTPS. But you know, it's it's so late. I mean, you know, Google have had it for a while. Microsoft, even Twitter, and uh, I'm not sure about Facebook, but certainly, oh, it did actually too. Facebook back in uh, uh, 2011, Twitter as well. It, it's mm-hmm. what everyone's doing, and yeah. they're also using 2048 bit encryption. Yeah, and you know, it's about time that they've jumped on the bandwagon, especially seeing as more and more information is coming out about the dodgy things that the different intelligence agencies in America and around the world have been doing. Yeah, exactly. Especially the NSA and the stuff that it's been doing, like trawling through the um, contact lists that are sent across from your webmail to to your browser and gathering up all of that information yeah, and obviously mm. through Yahoo they could do it quite easily because it was all done in the open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> so now it's just a little bit harder for them to do it but not impossible. But yeah, yeah anyway, uh, Yahoo a little bit a little bit late I'm afraid but uh, at least you've done it. Mm. Hey, look, that was all I had for the international stories uh, but we do have a bunch of New Zealand stories which we'll get to right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Now, I'd like to kick off the New Zealand section of the show with a recent media release from the domain name Commission. And to talk about it, I'd like to welcome on the show the domain name Commissioner herself, Debbie Monaghan. Hi, Debbie. Hello, Edwin. Hey, look, thank you for taking the time to join us on the show. You're the domain name Commissioner. How long have you held that position? Oh, yeah, for far too many years now, I think. Actually, since 2002, when Internet New Zealand restructured how the .NZ space operated. Right, you, you've been it since then. I have indeed, yes. No, it's an interesting role and it's, it's been very challenging. Mm. The domain name commissioner is part of uh, DNC, right? Dem- the, 
the Domain Name Commission. Can you just explain briefly to our listeners what the role of DNC is and its relationship with Internet NZ and registry services? I'll start first with the relationships because um, Internet New Zealand is an incorporated society, so it's a membership-based organisation, and it holds the right to manage the .NZ domain name space. And they've uh, set up a structure with two subsidiary companies. One is the Domain Name Commission, which I head, and our role is to set the policy framework for .NZ, authorise the registrars, and basically act like a regulator for the space. We also oversee the performance of the registry, which is the second subsidiary company, and they do the technical functions and they operate the registry and the DNS and other such technical functions. So they're the ones where when you actually register a domain name through a registrar, they hook into the registry services and it uh, all gets registered physically gets registered at the... At the registry, yes. At, at so the we authorise yeah. the registrars and when they're authorised and connected, uh, if somebody wants a, a .nz domain name, they go to a registrar or one of their resellers and yes, the, the registrars have the, if you like, the technical solution with the registry and they are, they are responsible for registering and managing their own names through the registry interface. Right. Yeah, I, I actually remember way back when .nz was pretty much free. You could get free. All you had to do is email a zone file to some guy in, at University of Waikato. You'll remember That's, those days too, won't you, Debbie? Look, to be honest, I think back when Waikato University had the delegation, I don't think I probably even knew what a domain name actually was. Or, or, um, <laughs> but so, um, and I think the Waikato University, of course, then it morphed into going to the Internet Society. And, and since then, of course... Domain names, its use um, taken off dramatically, and, and back when Victoria was doing it um, in in giving out names to people, I don't think they really saw how, or they could see probably where it was going, which is a lot of companies and that wanting domain names, and they weren't really in the domain name business; they were a university. Mm. Huge commercial, uh, you know, potential there. Well, exactly, and if you look now about um, well how how much people use the internet and and how many people just take it for granted now. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't always like that back in the old days. Yeah, things have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, you know, this this recent media release um, by the Domain Name Commission, it, it talks about a proposal to sell .NZ names at the second level. So for our listeners, in other words, instead of like yourname.co.nz or yourname.org.nz, which the name appears at the third level there, the second level, the equivalent there would be yourname.nz. Is that right, Debbie? Have, that's, have... that's right. And um, basically the Domain Name Commission, um, Internet NZ still keeps the right to set the real high-level strategy for the .NZ space. So the Domain Name Commission has been doing quite a bit of work on, on this over the last, um, last period of time and put a recommendation to the last... Internet NZ Council meeting recommending that the change be made to actually do this um, and Council actually agreed and passed um, agreed with that recommendation and so at their meeting last Friday they actually said yes you are to go ahead and, and implement this. And I'm so glad that decision was made because I've been banging on about this since the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, Brett remembers this, don't you Brett? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's been an issue. Look, we uh, we have a policy framework, and every time we review our registry, managing, and cancelling policy, it comes up. Um, so basically, people are saying, "Well, what about allowing registrations at the second level?" And then back in uh, twenty eleven, uh, at a, a group strategy day, the council actually raised it as a point as well, and actually said, "Can the can DNCL, the main name commission, actually go off and actually look at the structure of .NZ names and and consider." 
what is the best format for, for .NZ going forward. And so that's what we've been doing. And our first consultation paper went out in May 2012, so May last year, and got great submissions for that. Um, over 100, which we don't normally get that many, so it was great. And then um, followed up with a number of the submitters and, and had uh, on their issues, made some changes to the proposal based on the comments we got, and then went out with the second consultation paper. So there's been, um, if you like, it's been going on for a while since May last year, but we've made a number of changes and spoken to a number of people and had two big and good and very fruitful rounds of consultation on it. So it's not just something that you decide, oh, shall we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Flick the switch. There's a whole <laughs> there's a whole process around it. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the thing is, is if we were studying like from scratch now, if, if we were back in the days that you're talking about with Waikato University and, and with very few names, the issue's not so great. But, you know, we had um, well over 450,000 names uh, what do we do with the existing registrants? How do we mm, actually turn yeah. around? I mean, we made a few decisions in principle, like, for example, the current system was not changing. So essentially we're not removing what we've got now. This is another option on top of it. Uh, but co.nz.net.nz will still continue to work and function. Mm-hmm. And so if people have got a domain name now, even with this proposed change there, it's not going to be affected or changed in any way. So we're just adding new opportunities rather than changing existing registrations. That's right. It's another option that people will have. And so we wanted to to think of a way to actually turn around and recognise that there were a number of people that were already existing registrants and to give them the first right and the first chance to actually register the name that they've got now directly under .nz if they chose to do so. Because, you know, over the years, we, we've seen a few changes to the .nz structure, uh, like namely the introduction of some new second-level domains, such as uh, .geek and .kiwi. Yeah. But this proposal, would it be fair to say that this is probably the biggest change in the .nz structure in its history? Oh, I, I, would, I would definitely say so. Um, from, and definitely in the time that I've been there, we've a change to what you can and can't register is quite significant. And as you say, uh, .kiwi.nz was implemented or introduced last year, but that was another option within the same structure. And this is actually turning around and saying, well, that structure's fine, and, and we acknowledge that it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's not broken. It's working well. But we're actually um, one of the few that, most of the TLDs and, and a lot of the CCTLDs and that actually register names directly at the second level. Australia, of course, still has three levels yep. and so does UK. UK, and, yeah. But, of course, the UK are consulting on this very question as well. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah, at, okay. at the moment. So so I, I think it is a very fundamental change. And the other thing, too, is that people are used to the structure we've got. So one of the things we did identify and acknowledge is that there is a potential for confusion and, and people not really understanding what is a domain name, what's a third level, a, sub, a subdomain, and other such things. So we did acknowledge and, and go in with our eyes open that we would have to do a lot of awareness and, and really raise the profile and educate people because the change is actually quite significant. Can I just go back to a comment you touched on earlier, and that is if we if we were starting today, right, if .NZ was created, if you like, today and ICANN assigned, you know, Internet NZ, the, the, the management rights, how do you think it would unfold? Do you think if we were starting today, would we have three levels or do you think we just have the two? I think predominantly for open registrations, probably the two. I do think, though, that we'd probably still have spaces like .gov.nz. Yeah. Um, some of those moderated spaces actually serve a very good purpose and they will continue to do that. And they and I think the thing is is that the structure of having the three 
and you pick which one you want to register under, can identify the nature of, of you, like .org.nz for organisations, mm. .gov.nz for government. But what we saw with .kiwi.nz when that got introduced is we had a number of people come in and register names who didn't actually have a name beforehand. So clearly the options that were there, they didn't find one that was really applicable. .co.nz is by far a larger space, but not everyone's a company. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so the other benefit of actually allowing registrations directly under .nz is you don't have to try and categorise yourself right. within right. any of the particular second levels. And also some of them, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive either. You could get, for example, a tertiary training institution, which might be .ac, but it might be a commercial. It might be commercial in nature, which would be a .co. And, and so, where does it go? Well, that's right. And you actually can't really look at a .co.nz and say, "Well, it's definitely a company." Um, no. And so, because there's a lot of people who actually have their family uh, domain names and emails, and that use a .co.nz, but they're not companies. Um, and and it could be that they choose to actually register their name directly under .nz and then give up the .co.nz name because they might decide that it's more applicable mm. or some might choose to keep both or, or not register at all. I'd be interested to explore the arguments for and against and I, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll bring you in, Brett, as well because I know that, uh, or I get the feeling having talked to you before, Brett, that you're not entirely a great fan of this idea, are you, Brett? I, I think it's kind of it's it's late bringing it in now when we've got a system that is already in place has been in place for a while and people are used to and what sort of things monitoring or etc would be implemented for the registration of new second levels that would stop confusion running riot when somebody decides to they want .com.nz as their, their second level. Well, actually, I wondered about that because... Or .edu.nz well, or .gov.nz. Yeah, because I can see a number of, and this I guess this might be one of the challenges um, of this new system, and I don't know, Debbie, whether there's anything already uh, that, that's been thought of to address this, but I can see some potentially uh, valuable, if you like, second-level domain names. And Brett just gave some, for example, like uh, .com.nz, .edu.nz, maybe even government.nz. Well, it's the, yeah, we, um, the, the policy we proposed on, the draft policy we consulted on in the second round, actually suggested that .com.nz, .gov.nz and .government.nz should not be permitted at all. Oh, okay. So um, that's been thought of already. Then, so, so, but it was it was a very limited list. So basically, and we did actually ask that question the first consultation round, and not a lot of people actually offered a lot of names. So, but the other thing too is that uh, what we've got with the the third levels at the moment, we actually have around about twenty thousand names where the it is registered at more than one second level. At third level, right? More than one second level, but with different registrants at the third level. So they're competing registrants. They're conflicted. Now, what our proposed policy for that is, is that if the registrants can't agree who gets the name, then nobody gets the name. So you'll 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 end up with a situation like, for example, www is registered in a number of them, 
uh, unless all the registrants of www can agree which one of them should be allowed to register their name directly at the second level, and then nobody does. Yeah, and so, it's actually on that note, you're talking to to one of those people. I mean, I'm www.co.nz. Um, so I was because I was I was wondering that that's one great example. I'm glad you raised that, Debbie, because you know uh, Craig Whitmore, I think, has www.kiwi.nz. Uh, I've got www.co.nz. Someone in Ireland has www.net.nz. And, you know, I wondered whether there'd be a policy that says, well, the first registered gets it, but I'd be happy with that because I, I think mine <laughs> beats the others. But that's just me being selfish. Well, we, we made a decision that when it came to those conflicted names, we didn't want to make a decision on who had a greater right. And and so basically if, you can't, if the registrants can't agree amongst themselves and nobody gets it or – the registrants could actually agree to make it a second level. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. So if you all agree, you could actually, like for example, names like Auckland, they're registered in, in a lot of the second levels. Yeah. It could be that all the registrants turn around and say, oh, why don't you just make Auckland.nz as a second level and then anyone can register on it. And so who, who would administer? Tried, it would then be just like .kiwi.nz or .net.nz. Oh, okay. So it would become a second level domain rather than a second-level registered name. Right, right. So, so we've tried to think of options to try and turn around and say, well, how do we minimise the issue? And then your other issue, which is very true, which is confusion. So say somebody's got shop and somebody manages to get shop. Now, a lot of those, if you like, good generic names are also the conflicted names because they're registered at, in more than one second level at the moment with different registrants. But what we've done is we've proposed a, an extension to the dispute resolution service at the moment. To file a, a dispute, you actually have to show rights in the name. And if the domain name is shop.nz, how can you show rights in a generic name? Mm. So we've slightly modified it to say that in that particular case, if a subdomain has been registered and say it's whitcalls.shop.nz and it's not whitcalls, then whitcalls can use the DRS, the dispute resolution service to complain about that at the third level. So it's kind of complicated, but I suppose what we've, we've tried to do with our policy framework is identify the risks, the chances for confusion, and try and think of ways to mitigate them. But what we're working on now is we'll work with the registrars uh, and the registry, and we'll work through how we're going to implement this. And then early 2014, we'll um, put out a final policy paper which actually details how we plan to implement it, which people will have a chance to comment on as well. When did you say that's likely to come out? It'll be early next year. Early next year. I'll yeah. definitely be keeping an eye out for that, especially as the owner of www.co.nz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a case of reading the small print. You know, the thing is we actually don't want to be small. We want to make it quite clear to people how it's going to operate so that there's no surprises when they yeah. come to it. Yeah. And, and, and also, if you like, very much... Um, work with the registrars to get to the registrants to educate people as to how it will work and, and what the impact is on them and their names if they choose to do different things. So speaking of education, it's it's um, it's really quite surprising how many people have difficulty with my domain name. When I give my email address out, you know, edwin at dub 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 dot, they, they say, what, that, how does that work? What's that? It, yeah, because that's a web address, Ed. Yeah, it confuses them. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because I, I do uh, we do a number of presentations to people and, and educate people about, about you know domain names and things like that. And I actually give it as an example. Um, oh, do you? I give I actually give www.gov.nz as the example. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so sorry, Edwin, but um, oh. I use the .gov that one. <laughs> but um, and I explain to them that in actual fact that www is just like putting in 
any other word. And yeah. I said it's just three letters, but that's actually the domain name. And yeah, but you're right, people don't, I think because they think that that's the World Wide Web and that's what, it, that's what you're accessing, it's yeah. not actually the domain name. I sometimes joke that I own .co.nz when, when I have to give that out. <laughs> <laughs> I say, how does that work? I say, I own .co.nz. <laughs> um, by the way, you know what could be interesting out of this though, is that we might finally get .bank.nz. Someone might register that. Remember that was I think but that would they be allowed to? Well, that well, well, it's not it's not on the planned list of restricted names right now because that was proposed um, as a second level. Because if I registered .bank.nz, could I then sell anz.bank.nz etc to these banks? Yeah, well, there you go. Well, you, we've said it now on the podcast. Everyone else wants to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> you see, we don't. Uh, we actually, as a general rule, we actually don't get involved in subdomains. So as long as you're not breaking any, breaking any law or anything or making out, you're the bank, you know. And I think that's the thing is that we don't get involved in the use of a name, but of course you're still responsible for the laws of the land. Mm. But the, the word bank isn't exclusive to a banking institution, of course. You've got a river bank. Well, that's true. The, the, the reason I, I brought that one up is because I remember some quite some years ago they, they tried getting that in as, the, um, as a second level and it failed. That yeah, was, then it was, it was actually I think, wasn't accepted. It? Then it was actually granted. Oh, was it? Um, and the banks didn't utilise it, so it wasn't. Oh, is, that, is that what yeah. happened? So after a period of inactivity, it was then recanted. Oh, I see. So I, I, I they thought did it was apply once and miss. Then they replied and and were successful, and it wasn't actually used, and so it got taken off them. So uh, anyone looking at the the schedule or if you like the history of .bank.nz would find a very interesting, varied kind of history for that particular second level domain. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. I've learned something uh, today then. But the other thing too is that at the moment, uh, the system is still open. We, we haven't changed our current policy framework, which means people can still apply for a new second level domain just like .kiwi.nz was applied for last year. So there's nothing to stop the banks now if they wanted to, to re- reapply under the current policy framework for a new second level domain. Right, okay. And it's not to say that I'm encouraging a whole big raft of <laughs> new second levels, but um, if people are concerned about any particular name and they feel that they should, then the system is still actually open for that. So, Brett, what else did you not like about this idea? Because I know you, you were mostly, you had some... can't remember. It was a while ago when we talked about it. Or have we already mentioned these points? Because I know there's the the thing about confusion and then, of course, multiple people owning the same third level, like pizza.co.nz and pizza.net.nz being quite different. Who's going to get pizza.net, which we've talked about. Mm. Um, You know, the thing I like about this, though... The other one, I guess, is is, um, people who register a relatively generic second level and then on-sell. But you've oh, like subdomains. You kind of yeah. So kind of creating their own second level that they then on sell off. Like if someone created company.nz, for example, right? Yeah. We, we um, Debbie's already said that com is probably going to be excluded. So if someone <clears throat> if someone had company.nz and sold those, but what's but that's okay, isn't it? Is well, it almost like pro, prospect, you know, prospecting kind of thing, well, seeing which ones you could sell on and make a bit of a profit? Yeah, but it, it's it's also got that whole. With some second levels being second levels that are, you know, kind of looked after by the, the, the registry and, and then other second levels, which aren't second levels at all, they are... They're actually a, domain names. They're, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're a domain name owned by somebody else, a private person who is on selling those. It's, 
and whether or not they themselves are a trustworthy person to be controlling that as to what they then set up and do. You kind of have a little more trust in the, you know, the, the, the NZ registry looking after everything that goes through .co.nz, whereas somebody could present a presentable face being .company.nz and then not be trustworthy. Yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is, is a good point. If there's confusion as to who's selling the domain name and, and who actually, and whether it's a second level uh, tier to the .nz structure or whether it's actually just a name and you're on selling something before that, I think that would cause problems. Like, you know, if a company pretended to be, um, without necessarily saying so, pretended to be yet another registrar, but in fact was simply selling off subdomains of their own, uh, and people buying those domains might think they're getting an actual domain name when they're really just getting a subname. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. That, that could be mm. that could be interesting. Getting a subname that's run off a, a DNS server in somebody's yeah, house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think, like, under the Fair Trade Act, people actually can't misre- misrepresent the situation. Um, so it could well be that in that sort of situation, we actually complained to the Commerce Commission um, about somebody actually doing it or, or, or whatever, or somebody else has, is free to actually do that. But that is one of the issues that we identified for, if you like, the whole education. People actually have to know where to go to check whether it's actually a second level or how to do a who is career and actually how to track down who they're doing business with. Uh, which is something we've identified anyway. And it's also the other reason why we extended the dispute resolution service um, so that people who, if you like, are sub, sub-selling subdomains can't just turn around and, and make out that they're entities that, that aren't, they're not, they're not whitcalls.shop.nz or anything like that. Um, but it is, I mean, it's a very valid point and one of the things we've, we have actually identified is that people are used to three levels and how do we turn around and educate them that... Yeah. How, how they actually know what is or is not the situation um, and how do we educate people that if they want company.nz, they can actually put the word company after their name because there's no second level. So you could say joesfishingcompany.nz. They don't need joesfishing.company.nz. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting though because as you, I think you, you mentioned this at the beginning that most, I think it's fair to say that most countries do offer them at the second level. I think a lot of European countries, UK excluded, but a lot of European, continental European countries uh, do that. And it, I've always found it odd. In fact, I, you know, I, and when I say always, I mean, I'm going back to the mid 90s here. I've always thought it odd that we've, we've had these three tiers. And to me, it just seems in, in my mind, it was superfluous. It was like, well, we're just not in there. Let's just keep it at that <laughs> and it never happened and finally they're talking about it yay well, well obviously whoever was doing it at YCATO got their information from whoever was doing it at the UK yeah because we followed the UK model haven't we <laughs> yeah because we use the yeah. UK model <laughs> and, and I think to be fair that there's a lot of people you know um, there's a lot of people who still like that structure they like the formality of it and the fact that it does actually turn around and, and people have got options within it and you know, we're not removing that, that the, the current structure yeah. is actually mm. still staying there. This is an, an option on top of it. And I think there's definitely a place, uh, a lot of organisations will want .org.nz, for example. And, of course, the moderated yeah. names, .health.nz and, and .gov.nz, they want it because that identifies them in their sector. So there's definitely still a place for that, and that was why the current structure will stay, and it's just going to be, an, if you like, an additional option on top of that. 
And you know the, the moderation actually works well because I tested that some quite some years ago, maybe about seven, eight, nine years ago. I tried to register petition.govt.nz <laughs> and uh, that didn't go through. The uh, State Services Commission said, "Who are you?" And I said, "I'm just me." I, I didn't lie or anything like that. You know, I just told them who I was, and they said, "Oh, well, sorry, you can't." And so I said, "Okay, thanks anyway." And I thought that's <laughs> what the outcome was, but yeah, the moderation works well. Uh, it's it's quite interesting too, though, what's moderated and what's not. For example, .ac.nz is not moderated. Uh, I would have thought it would be. And, and it's I always found what is and what isn't kind of an interesting one. Yeah, and that, that, that all predates me. I mean, we inherited all that. What we did actually do in, in our policy framework when when we reviewed this way back in 2003 was actually put in provision to turn an unmoderated space into a moderated space if the majority of registrants actually agreed and other such things. And .ac and .school being the two that were, were in, in, if you like, people were thinking of at the time. Mm. But then as a lot of people say too, there, you've got cooking schools, cooking.school, school. I mean, there's a whole lot of different schools that aren't necessarily, if you like, your typical primary or, or secondary school. Mm. So the, by far the most of them are, are, are open You've got .iwi, which is moderated, and .mari, which is, uh, sorry, .iwi, yeah, .iwi is moderated and .mari is open. So they're filling two, two different, different niches. Different mm. niches. Mm. So, Debbie, do you have some, if, if assuming this goes ahead, do you have some domain names that you plan to register at the second level? I'm not asking you to tell us what they are, <laughs> but have you got some sort of up your sleeve that you're wanting to, to snap up yourself? Well, the interesting thing is, is that for the first sunrise period, uh, people had to, had to have a name, the name registered, to get to get first dibs uh, when we put out the first consultation paper, so the, that people couldn't change their registration habits to to block people later. So, when you say registered, um, as in, do you mean in another second level, or do you mean as like, like so tra- trademark or company name? Well, you had uh, you, www. registered prior to thirty May last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's when we put out the first consultation paper. So your name is in the eligible mix for the sunrise period. Oh, I see what you're saying. Now, it's okay, also yep. a conflicted name, but, you know. Yeah. So um, my names are actually conflicted names, the names that I actually Oh, okay. Had. So mine, mine are conflicted. So, you know, I'll probably be in a position of, of people who, who have my names, uh, I'll probably just let them have it at the second level because, you know, I'll be nice. But... Um, so, but I think we have, we would probably get one or two emails every week from people asking us about this, even before we were doing this. Oh, is that and right? there's, there's people who've got some really interesting ideas. There's pe- people whose names end in NZ and they're coming from overseas and they actually want to know, oh, can they yes. order their name yeah. .NZ so it's their name, so they get their name. So there's a lot of interesting things that people actually do want to do directly under .NZ. I find this whole thing quite fascinating. I, I really do love this, and I'm, I'm going to be following this uh, personally myself, not just because I, I own that domain name uh, and others as well, but just, just because I, I've always found this quite interesting and in, um, how the domain name structure is and how, especially how New Zealand compares with other countries and, of course, with the generic top-level ones. I've always found this quite interesting, so I'll definitely be following that. Excellent. And I think if you have any ideas about how we can best educate people to get the message through, we'll be all ears because uh, I think, you know, it says Brett said as well, educating people and raising that awareness of what's going on is going to be very key. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's it's. I find it hard enough 
just even these days trying to get people to understand, you know, that the structure dot in there, you know, that the 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 hierarchy, if you like, you know, people, I think just some people anyway, just see a string of letters and they don't sort of think about how those letters are made up, the different components, the dot NZ at the end, what's the dot co in the, in the middle, you know, they don't, some of them don't even realise that, it, it doesn't feature. And that's, I think, a, a huge challenge. Anyway, so I think, uh, Kim, was there anything you wanted to, to cover? No, I'm all good, thanks. It's actually really interesting because I had some thoughts in my mind as things I wanted to ask. And most of the things were covered, so it was really good and really interesting. Great. So who's going to snap up pizza.nz? <laughs> oh, I shouldn't do this now because now um, we're going to start. You've already given people ideas now. You're going to give people ideas now. There'll be a rush for certain names. Bang's going to come back in. <laughs> oh, man. This, I can see this. I'm going to snap up Ed. You're going to snap, snap up Ed.nz? Yep. Well, so well, get it. Oh, I'll get Brett <laughs> I'll it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we can have some fun with this. Excellent. Look, uh, Debbie, I want to thank you very much for uh, gi- giving up your time to uh, talk to us about this new proposal. Oh, no problem. Thank you for covering it. You're most welcome. And uh, you might find a submission or two from me in due course. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks once again, Debbie. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Right, other New Zealand stories this week. Kickstarter has announced it's going to debut in New Zealand. Kickstarter is, of course, the crowdfunding platform based in the US. And up until now, it hasn't been available in New Zealand. Uh, They've announced, have they announced a specific date? I think they have 13th of November. Yes. Mm. So what's that going to do for Pledge Me? Exactly. (laughs) Pledge Me was the New Zealand Kickstarter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the, the two coexist. Uh, if Kickstarter usurps um, Pledge Me's share, or if they they both work in the same pool, who knows? We are not a huge population, <laughs> so I'm not sure how it will go. Yeah, see, I wondered that as well, how thin things will be spread now. Uh, ha- ha- have any of you, Brett or, or Kim, have you donated money through one of those crowdfunding platforms? No, I yep. haven't. I have. You, you have? Yep. Because I was thinking of actually starting a project as well uh, on, on one of those sites. And right now I'm kind of wondering, well, do I do it on Kickstarter or, or do I do it on, um, on PledgeMe? Who's, who's going to be the biggest platform? Well, PledgeMe will probably get more New Zealanders donating to it right at the beginning. Well, because you could do it like right now. You wouldn't have to wait till November 13th. Well, that, that's true. However, uh, Kickstarter will probably put it in the face of more international audience. Right, okay. Yep, yep. So if you wanted some some global submissions, some and people perhaps, to give you some hard euros and, as donations. And, well, you know what? We talked about who's going to win, and maybe the, no one's going to win. Maybe that's exactly the niches that, you know, that people in New Zealand, when they look for a crowdfunding platform, they'll go with perhaps uh, Pledge Me if they're looking, if it's very, very New Zealand-focused. If it's not, but they just happen to be a New Zealander, but the project isn't necessarily New Zealand-centric, that they might go with Kickstarter, and that's maybe how people will see them. Possibly. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure. If Kickstarter really does their marketing well for, you know, use Kickstarter. You'll put your New Zealand project in front of the global audience. Um, that's kind of going to make people go, oh, sure, I'm making, I, I want some some funds to finish off making this 
niche little short film um, or this niche little location, but I'd like it to be global. That would be cool. <laughs> so Kickstarter apparently is going to charge, I think, a 5% fee for uh, successfully funded projects uh, and nothing if unsuccessful. I think um, that model is the same as Pledge Me. I can't remember whether the percentage is the same because I, I was looking at Pledge Me the other day. So I guess they're kind of on par, if you like, in terms of their, their fee structure. Mm-hmm. Mm, so, yeah, Brett, it will be interesting to see, as you said, uh, whether you know one kind of takes over the other, if you like, or, yeah. or whether they just sit together. All right, Vodafone has announced a speed boost for its 4G network. The new theoretical uh, maximum speed will be 150 megabits per second. Oh, awesome. So if you've got, what, one of the uh, three, two, two or three products that actually yeah. <laughs> utilize, um, uh, yeah, that yeah, are, so what are they called, Category 4 4G devices. Fine. So you're right, there aren't many. Kim, what did, sorry, what did you... Well, was that, was that the, the most expensive phones or whatever has got that? Um, yeah, yeah, pretty is, much. Is it the most, they are up there, aren't they? Yes. Uh, yeah. Galaxy Note 3, uh, Xperia Z1, yeah. Galaxy S4. Ex- oh, the S4, of course, yeah. Uh, mm. Actually, I think the Vodafone branded R215 is probably their cheaper one. And the, well, the, the Vodum, obviously, is the, the Oh, Vodum. yeah, of course, the Vodum. That. Yeah, the Vodum. So at least if, you're, if you are a um, mobile broadband... Vodum user, then you will be able to take advantage of uh, a significant increase to your broadband speed capability. Do either of you use uh, mobile broadband? Uh, well, I, I, I use my smartphone for internet sometimes. Oh, I see. Okay, so you've got a data plan on that. <laughs> but it's 3G, so <laughs> this isn't going to affect me whatsoever. No, no. What about you, Kim? Do you, do you use- I do not have one of those expensive phones. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kim? Do you use mobile broadband or...? No, I don't either. Yeah. No, I don't, don't, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know whether, you know, it would make much of a difference or not. Yeah, yeah. interesting to know. And... I like to game. I'm not sure how gaming would go well on on mobile broadband. Why would it be any different, though? I mean, it's still a connection, isn't it? Oh yeah, but consistency of it. Why did why do we switch for laying cable and fibre instead of sticking to radio? Later? Well, look, I was actually wondering that very thing myself because I, you know, when consistency when data of connectivity. Well, when mobile data was kind of in its infancy, I foresaw that, uh, incorrectly though, as it turns out, I foresaw that the, uh, basically, mobile broadband would take over, I don't know, 80% of the, the internet market and, you know, you wouldn't go wide unless, you know, that I, I could see the uh, telcos being, if you like, the country's biggest wireless network. And, and, and yeah. not just in, no, in physical it, size, but in customer about, size, but it's not. It's about consistency. It's about interference. Um, with, with any of this sort of wireless stuff, you've got line of sight, you've got interference from other networks and things going on. You've got um, uh, all of those sorts of things impact on the, the consistency, the reliability and the stability of the service. And for what most people use broadband for, like gaming and streaming stuff. Yeah, but it doesn't get you much worse. It it not, surely it doesn't get much worse than a DSL connection. 
I miss cable. I really do. Kim, what are you on? Are you on cable or DSL? I am on, I'm just trying to think what it is, cable, I think. Oh, you're on cable? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I miss the, the stability of a single IP on cable. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you, you can change you, stuff off of it. Now, yeah, we're, we're on um, ADSL here and it's, it's every every couple of days, different IP. Well, some- <laughs> Can't change anything to it. That's why I don't have any domain names anymore. Well, some ISPs, and I, I'm pretty sure Vodafone is, is one of them, lets you purchase a static IP for a, an optional extra. How much would that optional extra be, seeing as it's all still run on IP4? Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, well, actually, that's a good point. I can't remember. What didn't? I, I don't think it was a lot, though. I don't think it was a lot. Because I, I remember doing this when I was looking to, uh, when we moved from, from telecom to Vodafone. Um, oh, I haven't got the costs here. It'll take me a little while to find. But I, I remember thinking it wasn't that much, it wasn't, Unreasonable. It wasn't unreasonable. Mm. So you could always consider that if you're with Vodafone. Yeah. All right. Uh, last New Zealand story then is the iPhone. Finally, uh, Apple have announced uh, not only launch dates, but also pricing for the new iPhone 5S and 5C. Can I just take you through it? I'll just, uh, for our listeners, uh, take them through the different pricing. So the 5S comes in gold, silver, or space gray. And the recommended retail prices are. 1049 for the 16 gig model, 1199 for the 32 gig model and 1349 for the 64 gig model. The yeah. iPhone 5C, which uh, a lot of people were were hoping would would come in cheaper, it well certainly have come in cheaper. Uh, but not as Shit. much as I thought there would be. Uh, <laughs> eight, yeah, exactly. 899 for the 16 gig model and 1049 for the 32 gig model. I was kind of hoping for a $700 price point. Yeah, yeah, makes me think of um, you know the 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 old TUI ad format. You know, iPhone five C, the cheap iPhone. Cheaper. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, a six nine nine price was what I was expecting for the for yeah, the for the smallest five C. That's more expensive than I paid for my my iPhone four when it first came out. Really? Because I yeah. thought they were about a thousand still. They were they always yeah. around about a thousand. Uh, it was under a thousand. They went up in price. Oh, okay. When they when they first came out, there was during that time where the New Zealand dollar was really really good. I'll tell you what, you still will be able to purchase for under seven hundred dollars, and that is an iPhone four S six forty nine. Mm. But why would you? Well, I suppose you could say <laughs> well, that. That's that is kind of like the, the point, cheap. really, because the <laughs> iPhone four S, if it's <laughs> if iOS 7 runs as sluggishly on an iPhone 4S as it does on an iPhone 4, then what's the point? Yeah. Uh, hmm. <laughs> this is me just moaning about iOS 7 again, Ed. It's a little bit... It's the bane of my existence. I, it, it's made my perfectly fine phone a now slow phone. So <laughs> is it the performance or the interface that you don't like? Uh I'm not a fan of the interface, but the performance is the big thing. Is the big thing. Okay, uh, like I've right. said on previous episodes, my battery life on my iPhone 4 has dropped significantly since the install of iOS 7, and it is sluggish to respond. So can you just go, go back an old version then? It takes ages for it to spring to life. I swipe my finger and I have to wait, you know, 
almost a second before it responds. What happens, like, can, can you just not, like, go back a version and go, like, oh, no, I don't want that, and then just go with the old version, or does it automatically update? I'm hoping that I still have a restore a restore point. Right, oh, okay. So does it but depend on whether I, you've... I kind of, I set my iTunes to only save one restore point because it, it saves all the restore points in your profile. And because I sync my phone at home and at work, and seeing as the work profile is, you know, network-based, it attempts to upload that every single time. Mm. So you can get multiple gigabytes of profile size if you are syncing your iPhone. And you can't just go and purchase iOS 6, can you, from the store and, and plug your iPhone in and no. do it that way? Mm, yeah, because I've heard a few other people saying about that, you know, they've upgraded and, and whatever and then they have kind of haven't been happy. So I was just wondering, yeah, there must be a way you could kind of get back. Yeah, you can if you've got a restore point that is with your old mm. iOS and you say, oh, I, please restore. Uh, cool. All right, well, look, that's pretty much it for the show this week. Uh, in fact, I think the, there were more New Zealand stories than there were international stories. Probably it could even be the first time that's happened on the show. I don't remember. Okay. But anyway, there you go. I want to thank you very much, Kim, you uh, wonderful co-host, first time on Boys of Tech, and you are, of course, a girl of tech, but uh, <laughs> you did very well. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. It was awesome. And uh, also, Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting as well. Always a pleasure, Ed. All right, we'll do it again next time. Until then, take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Ciao. Bye. They say they've been a victim of They say they've been a victim of they've been. I can't talk anymore. We'll do it again. They say that they've been the victim of sophisticated cyber. <laughs> I always, I was sophisticated, Edward. Sophisticated, really? I always let it go, and you started laughing. Sophis- sophisticated, Edward. And I promise I haven't been drinking. All right, it's I'll, not that, it's not that hard a word. I'll, I'll try it again. Uh, they say, here we go. Where's your list? Get your list on. Now, now, here we go. They say they've been the victim of sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> oh guys look I'm going to have to word it differently I can't do this I can't do this we're going to do it differently Yahoo Mail has finally turned on SSL for uh, well for, you know for Yahoo Mail the web mail yeah but <laughs> that, that was a bad introduction shall I do that again because <laughs> that sounded really weird Yahoo Mail has turned on SSL for Yahoo Mail <laughs> <laughs>